you know, I go back to late seventies as far as my background in IT. Try not to give an age, Cameron. But you know, if you're gonna if you're just gonna out yourself as being that old, I'm fine with that. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my IndyMex consultant, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going? I'm good, Curtis. So are you now exploring other food areas now? Uh, uh, yeah, I, so that literally just came across my my Twitter feed today. And for the record, I am not a Tex-Mex fan. Like, I, I, am, I am a Mex fan, right? I live in San Diego, and I believe that Mexican food is perfect. It does not need to be adulterated by anyone, including the state of Texas. But then I saw this thing and somebody said, Tex-Mex, meet Indy-Mex. And it was a burrito, as I make quotes in the air, uh, with Indian stuff inside. And instead of cheese on the outside, it was um, curry. <laughs> interesting yeah and it i was looked made, at that and it I was, was like, made with naan right it was made with yeah. naan not a not see, a burrito I, I, not a tortilla see, i think that could be good the only problem i have is when i think burrito i usually think like thinner and so instead of a naan i would have liked to have seen like a roti being used right which is much thinner which is similar very similar to like a uh tortilla see this is so, why you're my my indie max consultant yeah. On the other hand, though, you could do a wrap with none. And I've actually had, there's a place near my house where they do like tandoori style meat inside of a, uh, wrapped inside of a non, and then they add other spices and things like that. And it's really, really good. Luckily, I just ate. So, cause this is all sounding very <laughs> yummy. You know what you could not do a burrito with though? I'd like to see you do a burrito with a papadum. Yeah, unfortunately, a papadum doesn't <laughs> fold over well, right? That's more like those, a tostito. It's more like yeah, a yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a what? What do they call that at uh, at Taco Bell? That there's it's a, a tostada. Tostada, yeah. <laughs> you yep. make a, it's like yeah. Indy Max tostada, the papadum, <laughs> and um, and some some sort of flavors that aren't too yep. runny because they would run the papadum. See, what you could do is I don't know if you've ever had Indian chot, but Indian chot they also have those papadums, but they're smaller. And they put like um, garbanzo beans and spices and chutneys on top of it, and sometimes a little bit of yogurt, and you kind of eat it like as small pieces. So those are also pretty good. Welcome to the Backup Central podcast, sponsored by Indian flavors from around the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, yum 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 yum. <clears throat> Although I, I just I, I just don't want to call it Dash Max. We'll ju- we'll just. You know, yeah. But anyway, whatever. It's a, it all sounds yummy. <laughs> so we have uh, what I believe. You know, we've done we've done over a hundred, what like a hundred and ten podcasts now. I think we've recorded like hundred and twenty, and this is a first. Um, and that is we have two guests. Uh, they are both partners at Forty and Partners. So let's. Uh, I'm going to do a bio for for both of them, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start. 
with Cameron. So he has been in in and around IT for way longer than I have. We're not going to talk about just how long it <laughs> might be the it might be the 30s. But uh he's he's been doing IT for a really long time and uh he is now a partner at 40 and Partners. Welcome to the podcast, Cameron Legium. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. So, uh, and also we have, and this is uh, actually how this got started. It is, I saw this person uh, uh, sending, I don't know, a tweet or a Facebook post or something. He has been in uh, NIT uh, just a little bit longer than I have. And I, I always love when I have that more seasoned veterans to, to talk about these kinds of things. And he and I actually worked at the same company for a brief period of time several years ago, a little company called Glasshouse Technologies, and now he is the CIO, CTO at 40 and Partners. Welcome to the podcast, Brian Greenberg. Thank you, Curtis. It's great to be here. I'm so sorry, Brian, that you had to work with Curtis all those years ago. <laughs> it only took a few years of therapy to get past. But <laughs> okay, so I that's what I have to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did we did we ever we we met in Chicago, right? Like physically met? Yeah, at a conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I, I lived left. in Chicago for a while. You have lived in Chicago pretty much as long as I've known you. Well, yeah. So I mean, when we actually met in Chicago was shortly after I left Glasshouse and right. I went to Citadel, and Glasshouse was at a storage decisions conference. Oh, and yeah. you were there with the whole crew and I brought my engineer with and introduced him to you and said hi. And, you know, we kind of connected, reconnected a little bit. But that that was the only t that was like the first time that we got to meet in the same place. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny because I, you know, I feel like I know you really well, but we've really only met, you know, was it just it wasn't just the one time. <clears throat> no, since then, we've met at a number of other conferences. Yeah, we've yeah, both yeah. presented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the first yeah. time, though, in like 2005. Oh, my Lord. That sounds like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, just talking about conferences sounds like a long time ago. Like, yeah, what's a like, conference? What are those? Yeah. What are those? Storage decisions. Mm. I remember those. I, I, they I were really great. liked I liked the storage decisions conferences. I, I, I missed those. I liked how they brought, you know, the, the, the main speakers were practitioners, right? Yep. That, it, that it was... That because most conferences that we go to, the people that are presenting are the vendors who are uh, sponsoring the conference, right? And, sure. and now I'm one of those vendor speakers that sometimes speak at the conference. But what I really liked about those conferences was that the the main speakers were people like you and me at the time that were actually doing things and solving problems and 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 yeah. So right, I, I, and I, uh, if you remember, Tech Target had a really stern position that none of the vendors were allowed in the conference sessions. I so remember that, speakers, that very much. Yeah. yeah. So that the speakers in the audience could speak freely about their experiences with the products and also not have the event sound like a commercial. Oh, that's actually yeah. really awesome. So you get like the real life, Hey, here's really what works, what doesn't work. And yeah, oh, yeah, I, it was great. I, yeah, it was good. Uh, although I <laughs> Having been one of those speakers many times, uh, there were always spies in the room anyway, because I still oh, yeah. every 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 once in a while, I still got in trouble for something that I said. Uh, but my no. favorite, my favorite was when I was doing some of their uh, roadshow events and and the, and the, the vendors were in the room 
Uh, my favorite, this was back when, when we were arguing a lot over post-process versus inline deduplication. And I did one of my talks was here are the pros and cons of these two approaches. And I had vendors representing both sides of that argument come up to me after that talk and say, you're clearly paid off by the other side. <laughs> right. wow. Yeah. I had managed yeah. to piss off and make, make, make both sides think that I was working for the other side. Um, well, that yeah. means you're doing a good job. You're able to, yeah, apparently, to fight apparently. on both sides. <laughs> Uh, before we get started, I'll do my usual disclaimers. Prasanna and I do work for our respective companies, I for Druva and he for Zoom. We're not speaking for those companies. These opinions that you hear are our own. And uh, be sure to rate our podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And if, if you have something interesting in this space, we'd love to talk to you about it, right? Data protection, data security, um, you know, uh, disaster recovery, archive, you know, privacy. any of these things, privacy. But, but no one cares about privacy. I care about <laughs> privacy. Damn it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Somebody, somebody needs to. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> privacy. You know, any of that stuff. The um, we'd love to, to have you on and talk about it. Yeah. We don't charge you to be on here. And uh, so just reach out to me at wcurtispreston at gmail.com or wcpreston uh, on Twitter. So. Uh, this all started, Brian, because I saw this article that you and Cameron uh, co-wrote on Forbes. But let, let's let's back up before we we talk about that. Uh, let's talk about the general state of ransomware attacks. We have covered quite a few of them on the podcast, um, and the the most recent one, Persona, we covered. I don't know if this is going to come. It's probably not going to come out in, in, but we recorded it just the other day. I don't know how these sort of come out when we publish them, but we just recorded the one about the Kaseya attack. Now, the Kaseya attack was a zero day vulnerability. And the result was a what what some people are now calling a legacy ransomware attack, which is really kind of a, that's a funny term to me. But the <laughs> traditional ransomware attack is where you know your data is encrypted and if you want to unencrypt it then um you know you can um pay us money you, know, you pay us money right so how are um persona how are the sort of these newer attacks what how are they taking place Yes, but well, I think the people behind the ransomware, they realized, yeah, sometimes people are just restoring their data, which hopefully they all have backups so they can do things on their own. Or other times they're like, oh, I'm not going to pay the ransomware or there's bugs in the code itself for the ransomware. And so they're able to decrypt the data. I know several universal decryptors have been published as well, but I think they've gotten smarter and they realize that if we just decrypt your data, you'll figure out a way to get it back right, or restore the data. But if we steal some of the data and now threaten to expose that private information, you're a lot more likely to actually pay the ransom to make sure that, yes, not only can you decrypt the data, but your sensitive information is not published. Yeah, it, it brings me back, you know, th this whole thing, the, the concept of ransomware, the term ransomware uh, harkens back to a, a traditional ransom. Right where a person is kidnapped and you pay a ransom to get them back. What these guys have done now is they've escalated it to, you know, pay the ransom or get your, you know, get your kid back, or 
we're going to kill your kid. Right. <laughs> um, you know, so, so this is taking it to the next level. Have you well, guys it's almost like extortion, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's absolutely extortion. It's, it's like, it's like, it's like ransom, uh, rolled up into uh, blackmail. <laughs> right. It's just all the bad things all in one, one product. Have, Brian, uh, I don't know. Let's, let's do, let's start with you, Cameron. Uh, have, have you, spoken with any of these like victims uh like because i'm always interested if, if you've spoken directly to any of these folks yeah so so talking to a number of healthcare people they're much more concerned about this new angle which is stealing of the patient data especially with uh, hipaa rules um uh, than they were when the threat was all about encrypting the data and having to pay to get the key back so even if uh, that meant that they were, getting a, they were getting a financial hit, if the patient information is out uh, on the dark web, uh, the impact on the health uh, organizations would be much more devastating. So the concerns are much deeper than they were before when it comes to this new ransomware angle. And it's not like you could really trust the criminals either, right? <laughs> They've exactly. stolen your data. Yeah. Exactly, because they, you can pay them and they don't have to delete anything. They can just still publish it and sell it and get more money because, you know, it, they are after money and that information is valuable. And once it's out of your hands, there is no reason to believe that they have any integrity. And if you pay them off, that they're going to do what they promised to do. So are you suggesting that these criminals have no integrity? I, 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 I hate to hurt their feelings, but I would say that, you know, I yes. I don't, I'm not sure they have feelings. Brian, <laughs> Brian, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm in agreement with Cameron. Um, you know, when I've, I've talked to a number of organizations after the fact when they've been hit with ransomware, sometimes two, three, four times um, prior to me getting there. And it makes me wonder what happened after the first time that you didn't quite like that they were able to get back in. But um, the ones that I had talked to weren't necessarily concerned. They weren't healthcare. And so they weren't as concerned with the exfiltrated data that might've been taken away. Um, but they were, you know, they were dealing with locked up systems. And they, um, when, when I did mention it to them, that, that data could have been exfiltrated if you haven't been able to determine it from your logs or things like that, um, what risk are you at? And sometimes they, they just don't know. They don't care unless the um, hackers had actually sent them a notice that says, oh, and by the way, we have your data on the dark web. Pay us X number of Bitcoin and we will, you know, air quotes, delete it for right. you. Yeah. Do you think that... No. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask, Brian, do you think they don't necessarily care about that? I know you said that they don't they couldn't identify really if it's been exfiltrated. But do you think part of that also stems from the fact that they may not even know what data they have internally to start with? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. That's definitely a part of the problem. So, I mean, what you just said in one sentence question encompasses so many problems that organizations have. Either they don't have really good logging that can tell them what left the network. They don't have good architecture that indicates exactly where their data is and what it is. No data dictionary, no governance that indicates what is, uh, you know, corporate secret or, or customer data or healthcare or whatever it is. Um, so if they don't know what they have, 
they don't necessarily, and they don't know where it came from. It's very difficult to find out if it's at risk or not, and if they've secured it properly or not. Yeah, so they're, that, they're not necessarily meant, um, matching the, say, the risk factor, the sensitivity of that data to the correct security protocols uh, that would be required for that data. Yeah, and, and it may also be, you know, Cameron was referencing patient data. This may be data that's less sensitive than that. It might be, you know, they, they might not have any data that falls into that category, right? Um they, and they might think that they just they quote unquote just have you know financial records or just have product design documents right they don't have something that is that will make them national news because they because you know a thousand patients personal data was blasted across the internet um, I, I'm I am th- thinking of but it's not just patient data that could potentially be I was thinking of what I think of as the first. <coughs> Um, uh, sort of this this extortionware attack was uh, the Sony Pictures, right? When Sony Pictures was attacked, and they were said they were told to you know give a certain amount of money, or we're going to release all of this. Um, what they released, and and they ended up releasing it, was embarrassing emails about how Sony Pictures was communicating about the talent that, that worked for them. You guys remember this? Right. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but but it was... even, even, even without that, every company has an HR system that feeds the payroll system. That's a good so point. They have information about their employees. And uh, some of these companies have, you know, uh, uh, Amazon has 1.5 million employees. That is uh, a lot of data that people would be very interested in getting their hands on. So every company has at least that information to safeguard against uh, allowing it's it a to good fall into the wrong hands. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I'd like to even add to that. It's, it's not just the employees or patient data or the emails, but what if it's a competitor that hired one of these ransomware as a service organizations that wanted to know exactly what your production cycle was for the widgets that you make and to find out who your suppliers were for particular components of your widgets. Um, that could be tremendously advantageous information, either if you're playing in the stock market or if you're a competitor making, um, you know, competing against that particular company. There, there are a lot of uh, uh, other facets to the nature, the sensitivity of the data, depending on who's getting it. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I and and I think that people people like myself that I don't know I, I think of myself as a fundamentally good person. I don't think of like I would do something like that. But we we struggle to realize that there are people that are in companies that will do ridiculous numbers of things uh, to to gain competitive advantage. I, I remember going, you know, when I was in college there was a, a lecturer that spoke at, um, I forgot which class I had this in, but I, I was in business college and it was a person who talked about hiring, um, planes. This is pre drone world, hiring planes to fly over factories to take photographs of, you know, manufacturing equipment 
to help deduce what uh, a company was doing, right? Uh, you know, and that and, happens and even today. That happens even mm -hmm. today. But now we could just fly a drone, right? Yep. Uh, but but that's what this that's what we're saying here is that you could have a competitor. Uh, you could or or you could have somebody that wants to short your stock, right? And and they want to, they want to get that information. Uh, so 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 I think the summary statement is here that even if you're not a uh, you know a healthcare organization, even if you're not um, you know you don't have PII on on very much PII of your customers, you're going to have PII of all uh, all of your um, uh, and by the way PII is a very a very American term uh, you know personal personally data. identify personal personal data um, you know the things that will you know, the things that the GDPR uh, speaks of, things that um, uh, the, uh, the, the, darn it, what's the California thing again? The CPA. The C yeah, the California uh, Consumer Privacy Act and, and, and myriad laws around the world, basically personal information that would really, that could be used to identify a person. Every company has something like that. So I, I, you know, we, so before we talk about what the article is about, I, I do, I do want to say, you know, every company needs to do what they can to thwart these uh, attempts to, to thwart these ransomware attacks. And, and I, because I don't want it to suggest that, you know, we just jump right to the, to the item of last resort. Um, they, they need to um, follow all of the general information security best practices that are out there. None of this is rocket science, right? Uh, things like updating your patches, things like educating your, your, your users uh, on what phishing is and what, what, because that's, that's currently the number one source of ransomware is phishing. Right. Um, and, and the, 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 the pandemic has only made that worse because everybody's working from home and working on their laptops. And, you know, we've gone from, from having a, a, a crunchy exterior to having no exterior, right? Um, and so um, the uh, uh, so so you've you've got to do all of those things, and then you also need a solid backup and DR plan, and one that's well tested and tested against a a, a ransomware recovery model, where you know you can easily bring up your entire environment. Uh, my personal opinion is the way to do that is in the cloud, but you know, I'm sure listeners will go, well, he works for a cloud company. Of course he thinks that way. I've always <laughs> felt that way. Um, but it's, it's just, it's, um, um, you know, it's, it, it's just so easy to bring up your entire environment in the cloud so quickly. And so you do all of those things in order to be able to thumb your nose at a ransomware attack. But I have, um, become quite concerned with, well, there's nothing in my typical arsenal from a backup and recovery person. There's nothing in my typical arsenal that can help a person, you know, help a company respond to an extortionware attack in any way other than uh, paying the ransom, right? And so I think that's where your article comes in. Would that be uh, an accurate enough setup? Yes, absolutely. Right. And as because, uh, as we said, even if you pay, doesn't mean you're, you're out of the woods, right? So, 
So that's that is probably from my perspective that is the worst case scenario when it comes to ransomware and the new development in that arena. Wor- worst case being you actually pay the ransom and then they release your information anyway. No, the, well, the loss of data, yes, because oh, right, right, yeah, you, you have you have lost control of your digital asset. It's it's, uh, it's and somebody else has it. It's not that you know it's encrypted and you have to pay, but somebody else has gained control of your data, which right. what you use to conduct business. And by the way, there there is an entire. Um, not what's well. There's an entire industry and a and a what what do we call it? not a like a special an area of specialty. What there's a word oh a discipline. There's an entire discipline and industry called data loss prevention, which is which is about preventing these things, right? And and I recommend you looking at that. But I think that your what's discussed in this article is it's to me it's it's the backup of security meaning it's the ultimate line of defense as if if everything else failed uh how so let's say so let's say somebody like stole a failed. bunch of your data yeah, yeah. um how, how so what does this article talk about how does it talk about preventing this well i think it, it's important um you know to be clear and, and it's easy for people to get these two things confused when they think about data loss prevention as you mentioned which is a great discipline um you know there's the there we're talking about at least two copies of your data there's the production copy that you're using for your everyday working that gets encrypted and you can't use until you get the key and that there's that exfiltrated data that's being held as ransom right this other way for extortion and um a lot of times uh i i think people sometimes get confused with that so i'm glad that you brought that up so this article does talk about that it talks about okay look there there are these two components of ransomware and the ultimate way in which that you could protect your organization from both being able to, um, if the data gets exfiltrated and stolen, a copy of that data stolen, prevent it from being read and sold out on the black market in the dark web and to be able to um, recover your business, have engage your business continuance plan to continue business is to have both a strong backup solution as in like backup to the cloud or tape backup solution that is considered offline and being able to recover that data in the event of an encryption event and to have entity level encryption within your data repositories, whether it's in the database itself on file systems or wherever, that there's an encryption framework around the data itself that if it gets exfiltrated, if all that data gets copied out of your organization, it's worthless to the hackers because it's encrypted and they don't have um, the keys to decrypt it. And I say keys in plural because there should be a whole ton of keys based on things like principle of least privilege and, and each data set itself should have its own key in regards to who needs to have access to it basically so don't that, use one key for everything that you, in your company definitely <laughs> don't use one key ever. no master no master key so cameron no. would you like to delve a little bit so uh brian mentioned this concept of entity level encryption would you like to give some examples of that yeah i would actually start with an analogy and that is a bank and the safety deposit boxes that they have for their clients 
so banks actually are very much like what we try to create in the digital world. You've got the the edge defenses with, you know, you, you might even have a guard that's standing there. And then you've got a vault. And then inside that vault, you've got safety deposit boxes. And in order to open that, you need two keys, one that usually is owned by the bank and the other one is what the customer brings with themselves. That actually is the kind of protection that you need for digital data, especially when it is somebody else's data that you're safeguarding. So the concept really is very similar only in the digital world versus the physical world, that my data that Amazon has is my data and I am probably more interested in in uh, protecting it than Amazon would be, even though they are. But, but again, especially when it comes to my healthcare information. Uh, and I should have some kind of control over that, especially uh, you guys mentioned the privacy angle. It also addresses that pretty much in that uh, the key to that information being visible or not should be under my control. But even if it is not, if you end up having at least one key for each patient that encrypts their specific information within a mm-hmm. healthcare system, you can imagine when when they break into the uh, the bank, they are presented with hundreds of safety deposit boxes, and you cannot break into every single one of them because you run out of time. It's the same thing when it comes to encrypting information by patient. And that uh, even if a single patient's password is is compromised, it only exposes that one patient's information. And if if somebody gets the database, they have encrypted information by patient with, with at least one key per patient, which makes it impossible for them to do brute force methods to read the data and do anything with it. So that's really the concept. Again, the best analogy is safety deposit boxes, and each entity gets their own. So I I definitely like that analogy. I just have a question. Like at a bank, for instance, you might have, say, 100 safety deposit boxes. So it's sort of easy to manage the keys, who has it, right? There's a register. You go in and sign your name every time you want to go access your box, et cetera. But if you're thinking like a corporation where, say, I'm a hospital and I have 10,000 customers, does key management become an issue for customers to use or has a lot of that been automated away? Well, a lot of it is can and is automated. We actually did a proof of concept uh, and pulled it off in, in, in a few weeks. But uh, whenever that becomes uh, a concern, we just need to remember the SSL TLS concept and how billions of connections are being made in an encrypted fashion back and forth all day, every day, and nobody notices it. And normal folks who don't even know what encryption is have their information protected without them having to do anything. So the same concept is applied here so that every time uh, a new patient is established in the system, a, 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 keyword, a, a, um, a key pair is generated. Uh, link to them, link to their password, to their entity. And that way, uh, nobody has to remember the key. Nobody has to know the key. The key doesn't have to be recorded anywhere in clear text. Just link to their uh, biometrics or password or two-factor authentication. And that is how you 
basically make that whole concept become completely transparent to the organization and to the patient, for example, or the bank bank customer or whoever. I, I think I completely agree with you two on this idea, and that is that the only way to solve this thing long term is to make sure that the data is encrypted uh, at the very beginning of its creation, and that way, if someone steals the data, they're just they're just stealing garbage, and you know, knock yourself out, right? Then, really, all we have to do is handle the backup and recovery information. Um, by the way, the, we're going to get we're going to get to my concern about encryption and backups here in a minute, but. I, d- I do want to make sure, and Brian, I, uh, I'll throw this at you. The, the, I, I do want to separate here. The, the key concept, I think, here is encrypt- entity-level encryption of data at rest. Um, Cameron mentioned the the you know the idea that you could I, I see as an add-on to this that you could optionally allow the the person, like if this is personal data, allow the person to control that, you know, a la the, the safety deposit box. But I don't think you're saying that one is required from the other, right, Brian? Yeah. If I understand your question correctly, yes. I'm not sure I understand my question. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm just saying, just Cameron mentioned about the this idea that you should be able to control access to your personal information. And I think that's a fascinating concept. I, I And I, I think that's a natural extension to what we're talking about here, but I don't think that's what we're, we're suggesting is required to solve the, the ransomware problem. Right. But, you know, as an extension to that, um, I think the notion of it is fascinating when you consider it in relation to the GDPR. Because Agreed. the whole idea behind that is that I own my data. And yes, I will let certain companies use it uh, for a period of time until I don't want them to use it anymore. So if I can, say, delete the key when I say I don't want this being used anymore, retire the key, delete it, whatever, out of the proper key management system, um, it could potentially then really enforce that protection of that data. Right. Yes, and that's why I mentioned the privacy angle that right. you could get that for free, but it certainly is not a requirement of entity entity level encryption. That's absolutely true. So, yeah, that, those two agree, are separate, agreed. but yeah, yeah, sep- separate, but uh, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what the yeah. phrase I'm looking for there. Go ahead, so, Persona. So I guess to Brian then. So Cameron describes sort of okay, it can be very transparent. Um, the cre- the key encryption can all happen. So if someone steals your data, then they just see a bunch of encrypted data, right? If they steal the database, all the data in there is encrypted, so it's fine. But you see a lot of attacks these days where people encounter like a phishing attack where someone gains access into a system. So can they not impersonate, say, Curtis and access the decrypted data and pull that out and exfiltrate that? Good question. Excellent question. Yeah. Uh, So really, you know, the solution, uh, like all security answers is, you know, it's a multifaceted approach. It's like the layers of an onion or multifacets Mm -hmm. of a diamond or whatever. Um, You want to have a number of other things implemented into your environment to help ensure the protection of, say, Curtis's account, right? You want to have multi-factor authentication that changes regularly. Uh, that is very difficult to get beyond. Um, and make sure your multi-factor authentication isn't 
via SMS, SMS to your <laughs> cell phone, right? right? We want to use a good authenticator app. Um, there's a lot of companies that provide them completely for free um, and also built into password management tools as well. Uh, so that, that's a fantastic thing to add in. Make sure that that's in place. Gotcha. So um, this is just also, another layer in terms of your overall security, yes, right? Yes. It's going, it, it takes a data centric approach in saying, let's encrypt the data where it is, right when it's created. But also we need to wrap all these other things around it. Right. It's so, going to be in transit. People are going to be using it. So let's yeah, the, make sure those accounts are The secured. concern would be that, so, so in this case, you were talking about my data, but my concern is, I let's say now I'm not Curtis, the person whose data we're concerned about. I'm Curtis, the sysadmin or database right. admin. And I have, I have a level of access that allows me to see unencrypted records. You, you would need, the, the, the worry would be that that, again, privilege escalation and all of the, that someone be, would be able to impersonate that account and then be able to see unencrypted data. Is there a Absolutely. way to, to work around that? Actually, the entity-level encryption specifically does not require that anybody in IT have access to any of the data. Right. Uh, okay. So uh, the IT angle is completely gone because, yeah, they have physical access to the database. They could even go in and dump the data out, but they're going to only see the encrypted data because the keys so are even, separate. So even a sysadmin-level person. Absolutely. Correct. So the, the other thing to keep in mind is that entity level, there are two angles to entity, right? One angle, I'm going to use healthcare if you guys don't mind, because let's just stay That's with fine. One, one example. A patient could have one key. Everything about me is, this is the key to decrypt it. They could also have uh, multiple keys, one for my financial information, the way I pay the bills, one for my medical uh, medication history, one for my radiology results, one for my lab results. So now what happens is that actually all of this is, 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 is taken care of automatically as far as depending on what data is being looked at, the right key is used to, to decrypt the information and show it transparently. But when it comes to the personnel within that hospital, within that doctor's office, the folks that are going to be looking at medication history aren't the same people that are processing the payments. So right there, you start segmenting the information at a different type of entity. This is a financial entity type of uh, the type of data versus again radiology or medication history or 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 various uh, health history as far as the types of ailments that a particular patient has had. So depending and because it is so easy to create keys and assign them to certain category of data, you could make life very difficult even if somebody gains access to, uh, let's say, the person that processes the, the billing and the payment for a hospital, the, the, the entire department. They, have, they might get access to it, to, to, that, uh, to the financial records from the, from the patients, but certainly not access to the health records for the patient and vice versa. So you, you create additional barriers and even there, as Brian said, by adopting certain practices, uh, for example, there is no reason for anybody to have a, uh, access to a core dump of all the radiology records for all the patients. There should well, be no such functionality, right? Well, let me challenge that statement because now, now we're in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Backup needs yeah, but do you need an to unencrypted have it? copy. Well, Why do you need I'm going to challenge stuff? you on that, Curtis. Okay. Does it, it doesn't need because to be unencrypted. All, all modern backup technology 
uses deduplication and deduplication completely fails if the data is encrypted. And I agree with you completely there. And that is one of the challenges of, you know, you and I have dealt with this before. DBAs will dump the database that's encrypted and you can't compress that. Right. It's going right. to be the way it is. But sure, you're going to use more storage space, but it's going to be secure. Right. So there's a trade-off. Yeah. So including your backup. Yeah. You, you had you had me all the way up to that moment <laughs> because yeah. that I no. mean you you just basically threw out the last twenty years of backup advancements by oh, saying absolutely. oh we just won't have encryption we won't have offsite backups we have to go back to the days of tape right I'm with you guys I well, really am well, I'm I am I'm, not you know. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I am not so sure that all of that. Uh, I'll go back 20 years and say that I actually helped implement one of the first uh, offsite backups that didn't require tapes. We were we would back up once a, a week. Then we would do redo logs and apply it on the other side on on a completely. You, you can do that for incrementals. System. Yes, yeah, you can do so that for incrementals that. for a certain and amount. Then, and my DBA at the time refused to stop doing tape backups and sending them off site. And I kept saying, why are you still doing that? He said, because DBAs. I'm old fashioned. <laughs> I am actually, yes, I am actually, well, I, you know, I go back to late seventies as far as my background in it. Try not to give an age, Cameron, but you know, if you're going to, if you're just going to out yourself as being that old, I'm fine with that. And I respect that. There is no way the way I grew up doing backups, you know, back when I was young and, you know, we used to go yeah. up the hill both ways. There was no way these these ransomware guys could have possibly defeated my recovery mode method. It was impossible. Oh, my, I yep. get it. I get it. Right. Yeah. So in a way, I am an advocate of some of the some of the things that we've abandoned because quote unquote we had such a wonderful time automating things is the reason why ransomware is so successful. Because we have just gotten to where everything is within our fingertips, and our fingertips can be mimicked by somebody far, far away with different designs on what they're trying to do with that really convenient system that has made our life so e so easy. Well, so exactly. <laughs> and right. uh, you know, I'd like to add in, I'll, it's still not popular, and I know I'm I'm never the popular guy in the room when it comes to this, but there is no um, the final line of defense is tape backup yep nobody's going to get to my data stuck on a shelf in a warehouse bunker 30 miles away and it's duplicate tapes and, and including one. you well that, <laughs> until well, i need it <laughs> yeah exactly I mean, yeah i yeah i just i mean and, and brian i mean if you've listened to the podcast or anything i've written i'm i'm not a, i'm not an anti-tape guy i just just the 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 volume of data that we're dealing with these days tape tape is is absolutely a great last line of defense but oh my god i never i hope i never have to actually use it right because i'm going to be there for months restoring the amount of data policy, we're talking right about. Yeah. well look well, it's an insurance policy just like any other one right and i wouldn't say use tape over cloud or disk i'd say use it with it right it's a hybrid approach you're going to have near line backup copies you're going to have offline backup copies in the form of tape and the density of tape is incredibly huge these days. I mean, you can store so much. I mean, the amount of zettabytes you could store in one library. And if you have enough drives in place, you could run these things in parallel. You know, there are there are cases. Um, 
I believe I was just at a seminar the other day where they talked about the um, the pipeline ransomware event that happened just a few months ago. Oh, the Colonial and, Pipeline? Yeah. yeah. And which, so which, which was did, one of these double ransomware extortionware attacks. And they got the key to start decrypting the data, but it took too long to decrypt mm. the data and they had to recover from backup. Yeah, <laughs> it was faster. It was it wasn't so, tape, by the way, though. Just throw, just throwing that out there. <laughs> okay, it doesn't have to be tape. It just it just it has to be an old fashioned approach to what used to mean when you back things up versus some of the new methods that yeah. you know make things faster and more convenient. That's really more of a discussion. Yeah. Tapes are great, but if it's not practical to do tapes, and and again, I uh, I I remember uh, situations where tape backups meant that we couldn't really recover all of our systems because the timing yeah. was such that they just didn't match anymore by the time the backups were done across yeah. multiple systems yeah. that were interfaced. So all of those are issues, but we have to give up some of those conveniences so that we can have, one, backups that are immutable yeah, and we can recover from, and number two, we can I'm encrypt not ready them. To, yeah. yeah, the immutable part is really that. important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the thing of it is, is that, um, and, and I've seen this where... The first thing hackers go after when they start their ransomware issue Are is the they backups. look for the, the backup systems. Yeah, yeah. And which then they is try, why you should not store those. your backups on a Windows box. What well, was the thing? Okay. I think yeah, I saw in the, right. <laughs> in the Kaseya case in the attack, I saw that they were actually looking for like folder names called backups and would try to delete yeah. everything in there. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I, I. So I, we spend a lot of time talking about that in other episodes where you, you've got to design your backup system to have what I would call a digital air gap, right? That's the beautiful thing about yeah. tape is that it's a, you yeah. know, you, you can't, if you're storing all your backups in a, in a folder called backups <laughs> on a Windows server in your data center, then you're going to get hacked and your da your backups are going to go with it, right? Um, right. But, I, but let's go back to the thing we're discussing about. If if I if I was you know in, in a project like I'm I'm all for that we would still have to figure out a way, uh, you know because it, we we have figured out a ways in the past of like and and it just has to be a double super triple authenticated way so that there can be at least a moment of decryption in between the database that we're talking about or file system that we're talking about and the backup system so that it can dedupe it, then re-encrypt it, um, you know. And as soon would, as you have that, yeah. as soon as you have that, you have the door for everybody else to take advantage of it through a zero day vulnerability nobody knew about or a supply chain attack. Uh, so that's the, that's the thing. Just like what Apple said, the only way to make sure it's safe is to make sure that it's impossible for even you to get around it. And that's really what the concept yeah. of entity level but, Come on, is. the storage companies must love this <laughs> idea. <laughs> right. But, right. but uh, yeah, I, you know, you, you know, I'm on your side, but I, I just can't agree with that idea. Um, because, because, because it's just the volume of literally what you're saying. If we well, did what you're saying on large volumes of data, we would absolutely have to go back to 100% tape and and man in a van. That's well, the only I, way to add, do the amount of volume may, that we're talking about and get it off site. May I add, may I add sure. offer a, a, a uh, olive branch? 
<laughs> now think about it. When we say when we say entity level, it doesn't mean all the data. It means the data that needs to be protected. For example, when right. it comes to employees, it is whatever appears on your W two, nothing else, and that's not a lot of data. So you are protecting the information that that if exposed will cause you and the business harm, right? That is not every bit of information the business has about me. My, my history of purchases on Amazon, I don't care. If, it's not, if, if it can't be traced back to me and my credit cards, I don't really care. So what does Amazon have to, have to encrypt? My address, my, my credit card numbers, my name, my customer ID. That's but, then, but then this requires yeah. customers to actually go through that process to sort of identify the specific fields that Define need to be customers. Well, well, yeah. I, I, Sorry, the customers. That's the Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, the customer I meant in this case, like um, well, Amazon. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. The, the the company the company doing the the yeah. trying to solve this problem. But yeah. I, but I I I I think I I could live with that. Right. It's like, OK, we're just going to do this for this, for the, you know, for the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. Right. And and so well, and so I lose dedupe and, you know, all that on that one part. But go ahead, Brian. It sounds like you don't agree with this olive branch. Well, no, no, I, I, I do. But I want to add in to, to what Cameron said. It, it's not just that. But, you know, he said it's like whatever's on your W-2. How often does that change after you get hired? Never. Right. right. So you need to t- think about what's the delta. Of change, how, how long, how often does it change? You also need to consider your governance policies that declare your retention policies of the data. Organizations should not be backing up everything and keeping everything forever. If they are, then you have this problem that you're bringing up, Curtis. Now, which is now a you big and deal. I are preaching in the same choir. I, yeah. I think I right. just, right? I think I mixed metaphors there, but, you, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I'm completely so, yeah, with we you. We want to yeah. be able to identify what data is important, what data needs to be kept, and for how long. And also remember that in the age of better e-discovery tools and heavily litigious actions against companies, there are legal requirements of the minimum amount of time that you have to retain certain kinds of data. And there are also legal departments that say, if I can delete that data 10 seconds after I read it, legally do it. I was at one company that... We were backing up the data and we had backup copies on tape. The retention period of those tapes were three days. Three yeah, days is only mm-hmm. they allowed. And then we had to physically destroy the tapes. We had to degauss them and then send them to the hammer mill and shred them and burn That's them. That's a bit much. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> degauss and shredding. That's yes. impressive. Yes. They wanted to make sure that all data was gone. With anybody with any any resources uh, could not get at it. And if, just, he tells us, if he tells us which organization this was, all four of us will be in <laughs> That's right. This, this podcast just, will disappear from the ether. <laughs> I just send tapes that need to be shredded. I send it to the, can I shred this guy? Yeah. So, you, you know, know here's an interesting that thing. Uh, yeah. Well, here, here's another interesting thing. I offered up a solution. I said, let's just, you know, make sure that we encrypt the data on the tapes and put a unique key per tape with a re- right. with an expiration date of three days, and then after that the the key gets deleted, and we could just overwrite the tape. They said that wasn't good enough because apparently the the story that the attorney brought up is 
if we went to, if we were uh, subpoenaed to the court and they said, can you get the data off this? And you say, no, there's no practical way in which to get the data off that. He said, if you threw 10,000 supercomputers at it for a hundred years, would you get at it? And the answer would be, I don't know, maybe. And he said, well, that maybe is what they needed to avoid. So mm. they wouldn't allow me to use the encryption key technology um, to protect the data, which still blows my mind. It's fascinating. <laughs> so, so one of the things that, Brian, you were talking about was like the W2 example that your name doesn't change often, right? Um, in a W2. But if you add entity level encryption with, say, key rotation, mm-hmm. how would that work? Right. So, what? What? Why would you do a key rotation, though? Isn't it standard or good practice? I guess for with new data to rotate your keys periodically for new data, it, but not unchanged data. Yeah, not unchanged data, and also that's a different approach. When you already are, let's say, if you have at least one key per employee, you already have one point five. Well, let's say for Amazon, one point five million keys for employees. There is no reason to rotate it because each one of those keys can only decrypt information about that one employee. Key rotation is there to make it difficult for somebody to just find the key and go and decrypt everything. everything. Mm, right. Good yeah. point, yeah. In this case, you just don't have that, that possibility by definition. Gotcha. And then the other question I had, I know we talked about backup. Um, do things change when we talk about archive? Or is it still the same? Not long-term retention, but actual archive. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Oh, I was going to say it really depends on the nature of the data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a copy of data, regardless of it's on a disk or if it's in the cloud or on tape. Um, it's a copy of the data. And even in an archive, if it needs to be protected, it needs to be protected. And yeah, that- you would still use encryption then, too. Yeah, here I'm going to raise my ugly hand and say that, well, then the archive just wouldn't work at all, right? Um, because an art, like if it's an actual archive, that, and by the way, thanks, Persona, for, for delineating between long-term retention and archive. <laughs> the whole point of an archive is to be searchable. And if I can't search against the data, then there's no well, point in storing it in an you archive. You can search against the data that you're allowed to search against. Right. That's where the separation of duties is really no, important no, 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 no. in this key management. But, but that's, but like, uh, so just give me an example. So again, this is, this is, we're going to end up back at Cameron's olive branch because <laughs> the, the, what, what you're going to put in an archive is something that you have to blindly search across. Like show me all the emails with the word Elvis in them from anyone anywhere in the company, right? That you would need God level access on the encryption for that type of search to work. You see what I'm saying? So um, I, I think that maybe we we wouldn't put the type of information that Cameron proposed earlier, the, the idea of, um, of like per, super personal data, uh, you wouldn't put that in a searchable archive. Yeah, um, that's good. You, know, you might yeah. store it long-term retention, but not in a searchable archive. Um, right. Not everybody realizes the difference between those two, um, but maybe that'll help. But hey, we, we've been talking for almost an hour <laughs> this has been good. I, I'm glad that we. I'm glad that we got to a point of contention. 
Uh, and, and because, because honestly, until we got to that point of contention, I was like, let's encrypt all the things, um, but not if it, not if it breaks all known backup technology that's been made in the last 20 years. Right. Yeah. But there's another reason not to do everything because there are, there are definite leads in every organization to look at the totality of the data for patterns that have nothing to do with information that needs to be protected. Right. 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 So, so you don't want to disable that because, you know, show me all the uh, patients that we've had that had the flu. It doesn't, show, it doesn't say anything about me as a person, but it says Good this point. season we've had 20 people with the flu. So you absolutely want to have only the data that needs to be protected, encrypted, and allow everything else to be searchable because that also kind of tokenizes the information mm, and makes like it, it much yeah. easier for you to allow widespread access because accidentally or otherwise it is impossible for the information that shouldn't be exposed to be exposed to anybody because it's encrypted. So like in case you have like, I don't know, a pandemic. Right. You want to search across records. Yeah. If that should ever happen. If that should ever (laughs) happen. Uh, Very remote chance. But then you you could release that part of the information and say, that's almost kind of like, we don't really care if you see it. And if right, steals because, it, act, because it's it. just patient X, and it's like you, what you aggregated. protect is a database that says what right. patient X is. Yeah, that's a really good point. Good, good, right. good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, this our 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 first time of having two guests. I, I, I think we're fine. You got you yeah. guys think this one all right? This I think great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. Well. Thanks. Thanks uh, a lot. Uh, you two for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. All right. And uh, thanks, Prasanna, for, uh, uh, as always, asking the good questions. <laughs> I try. I try every once in a while. Thank you, Cameron and Brian. No, it's definitely interesting talking Thank about you. entity-level encryption. So, And thanks to the listeners. And make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spade. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll ride on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spade.
once it'll be completely done maybe 